Hello once again and welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Wednesday the 14th of December. I'm Anthony Day. Nearly Christmas. But between now and then you've got my review of the year. And it's been another challenging year. But more of that next week. We seem to be following a theme of waste and recycling at the moment. Last week we heard from Shubhi Sachin of the Materials Library of India about how to minimise waste and reuse and recycle what cannot be avoided. This week, from the other side of the world, Stacey Savage, founder and CEO Zero Waste Strategies LLC, explains how she addresses such issues with her clients, some of them some very big brands. This is what she told me. I'm talking today to Stacey Savage. She's the Texas trash talker. So we're going to talk rubbish, are we? We are. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, you are the founder and owner of Zero Waste Strategies, a consultancy which advises some quite big names on how to achieve zero waste. So what do you tell them? <laughs> what do I tell them? Well, uh, every company is different, which means every waste stream is different. So we do a lot of customization and um, we tell them that reduce, reuse, recycle is not the only R's that we should be implementing in our business. So there are many R's in between reduce, reuse, recycle that we do not um, address. And that means we're losing materials and we're losing out on resources and, and potentially even jobs in the local area. So when we think of reduce, reuse, recycle, before reduce comes refuse. Let's refuse waste where we can. Refuse refuse is what we like to call it. And um, after that, let's look at, you know, once you've reduced, um, we look into uh, between reduce and reuse is uh, like repair. So instead of, you know, chucking that that old printer uh, out because the knob is missing, well, why don't you order the new part and just put it on there <laughs> instead of getting a new a new uh, printer? So, you know, where can we repair? Um, and after reuse, we would say re remanufacturing refabrication, what are the ways that we can reuse these materials um, in, in uh, you know, those, those newer type products. And then we look at things, um, after, you know, after recycling, um, well, what would come in as a contemporary to recycling is resoiling, which is composting of food waste, yard waste, green organic material. And uh, there's, there's a, just a lot of of re's that we're missing out there, which in turn um, are job builders, uh, job creators in for local communities and local material markets. Okay, so you you deal obviously with manufacturing organisations, and you've described all sorts of things that you can do, but you also deal with a lot of service uh, organisations like hotels and things, and that must be quite a different um, approach because you know, they receive products from other people. The other people have decided on the wrapping, on the manufacture and everything else. So they've got less control. Uh, how do you approach that? Well, the key thing with that is vendor contracts are a thing. 
If you have a supplier or a vendor under contract and you are no longer willing as a business to accept their materials, their the products that you're ordering coming in the, the specific containers that they're coming in from that manufacturer or from that vendor, you have the ability to sit down with them and say, we no longer accept this packaging. How can you work with us to change it upstream on your end? Because we don't want to handle your massive amounts of cardboard. Can we use collapsible plastic containers? Can we use collapsible metal containers instead? What are the options that you can utilize to keep our business? And if you don't want to work with us, we can rebid that contract out. Right. So those collapsible containers are reused and reused again. Many, many, many times. And it's the same thing for consumers, right? We don't necessarily have the ability to dictate what is on uh, the store shelves for us to purchase as everyday humans. Uh, So it's uh, incumbent upon the companies further upstream in the design and innovation and engineering phase to design for recycling. Make it easier for us as consumers to recycle your products. Um, I believe in Germany many, many years ago, when I think maybe in the early to mid 90s, where there was uh, those compact disc um, containers that had the long, you know, opaque plastic. So it was it was an anti theft device, basically. Um, But but people would pop them out and leave the waste there at the counter and say, I, I don't I don't want to take this home. I don't have anything to do with it. There's you know, that was kind of a propelled a movement where people were taking cereal uh, out of the the cardboard boxes and leaving the cardboard, leaving the materials there and just taking the product home because they were being charged at their home for recycling the materials that the producer gave them. And so they didn't want that anymore. It started a whole movement in Europe, I believe, um, around package refusal and just taking the product that they bought home. Yeah, we do have some stores which provide dry goods in, in dispensers and you you can bring your own container. Uh, it's not mainstream. I know where, there are, where there's one in my town, but uh, yeah, it's a way to go. It's certainly a way to go. Now, you're down there in Texas. Texas is I'm oil country. Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oil country. And you say your family has got a long history in the oil industry and... We didn't used to think about pollution. We didn't used to think about emissions, which come from not only from um, refining the oil and the gas and so on, but of course, from from the use of it for burning it in cars and whatever, whatever else. So it must be very difficult, given that that industry is so vitally important to your state to begin to change attitudes. But are attitudes changing? Yes, I, I believe so. There's you know a much higher demand for Um, recycling infrastructure. Unfortunately, for the past 30, 40 years, as Americans, we have relied upon shipping our recyclable materials overseas or to Mexico, just across the border, at least here in Texas and and more of the border states. But um, now that China has put what's called the national sword or kind of the the green wall, if you will, uh, they're no longer taking contaminated shipments at their ports. 
And a lot of times China is where these materials would go and they would suffer the consequences of accepting these materials that were contaminated um, by bringing them into port, accepting those materials, they would get into uh, the remanufacturing stream, but they had to be sorted first because the recyclables that we have sent from America or for other developed nations would, would come um, as dirty materials. They would be commingled with trash because unfortunately Americans still don't know how to recycle properly. And so it was a dumping scheme, if you will. And now that China has said no more, if you have, if a container of recyclable materials has more than 0.05% contamination rate, it's getting sent back to the home port. And as these container ships are coming back with our recyclables over the 30, 40 years that we've been dumping, we have not invested in the actual infrastructure of recycling plants, composting facilities, reuse and remanufacturing uh, here in America. And that has cost us a lot of cash and it's cost us a lot of jobs and economic stability as well. So now that these are coming back to port, we're having to deal with them and we just can't build these plants fast enough. And unfortunately, a lot of the materials are getting landfilled because they're coming back just as contaminated as they were when they left our shores. And so if we can't process them here at our recycling plants, what makes us think that they can process them in China? It is really um, an out of sight, out of mind concept yeah. that we have bought into for far too long. And it's time for us to make changes, inst instill that infrastructure, create the jobs, create the uh, economic vitality um, in, in local communities by reusing these materials. Yeah, it's a problem for Europe, I think, just as much. But you say we can reuse these materials, but if they're contaminated, that's the first problem, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. are these plants that are being built actually going to recycle or are we just talking about incinerators? Well, a lot of it will be going to incinerators and landfills because of that contamination rate. It really starts with us as the consumer to properly sort at the point of, you know, ridding our homes or our offices of these recyclable type of materials or even compostable materials, making sure that the plastic bags aren't wrapped around that old head of lettuce that just went bad in your refrigerator, making sure that uh, the little stickers aren't on the orange peel rinds, uh, that the little staples are no longer in the tea bags. Um, you know, those, those kinds of things that we need to look out for. People a lot of times just don't think about it. Um, and it's not their fault. They just, we haven't invested in the education of our population either. Um, and we haven't made it a priority. Uh, people see trash as trash as non-valuable and it's really not the case. There's a lot that can be done with these valuable commodities uh, such as corrugated cardboard, as well as plastics, glass, metal, and, and office paper, newspaper. These things that can be reintroduced into the remanufacturing process is a big job creator. But if we're giving these plants dirty materials, at some point, it's just not financially feasible for them to sort materials that should have been already sorted and clean. 
Yeah, and at the consumer level, it's difficult to know what's what. I mean, you get all these plastic containers from the supermarket, right. and if you can actually see the recycling <laughs> yeah. symbol, is it a one, is it a two, is it a five, is it an eight? Because you're not supposed to mix them. I know. But I, that, I have you know, to look like, what does that say? <laughs> there, there, there needs to be a convention that they've got to be a particular size yes. so that you can actually see them. But then the other thing, I found out the other day that I've been religiously um, recycling my pizza boxes, and they mm. said, don't do that because they, they've got grease on and they're contaminated. They can't recycle them, put them in landfill. But these well, are things you don't know. I, I've got, I'm not sure who's telling you that, but that was the previous method. Technology is now allowing for those greasy pizza boxes to be recycled and actually waste management, which is the largest waste handling and hauler and processor in the world has encouraged their um their clients to you know put those pizza boxes into the recycling bin now you can compost those as well because it has the greasy food waste but the the technology is advancing so rapidly in the recycling industry that they have put out a statement that they're okay with it and imagine, I mean, we, my husband and I just had pizza the other night <laughs> and I put the recycle, the box in the recycling bin. And he was like, well, wait, we can't do that. And I'm like, aha, yes, we can look here. And I, sh and I showed him. So there's, there's um, a lot of miseducation. There's a lot of conflicting messages, right? And there is um, just a lot of confusion out yeah. there. Yeah. Well, so, it's interesting because I heard that from a representative of our local recycling plant. Now, this is a state of the art plant. They take the domestic rubbish completely unsorted, drop it in, and then they sort it out. They triage it out. They take the paper, they take the metal, they take the plastic. And so it is um, a pretty sophisticated plant. But they said, no, no dirty Peter boxes. So maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll upgrade it. I don't know. Yeah, well, if you have, uh, you know, a waste management account, I, I, you know, confirm, of course, for your local area, but they put out a statement that it's, it's okay. Right, waste uh, management, so though, are, that, that is a United States company, is that right? That is a U.S.-based company, but they're right. international, mm -hmm. they're global, okay. Um, okay. they're the largest, you know, waste management company in the world. Um, oh. I think they have changed their marketing to WM.com yeah. instead yeah. of waste management, but um, but yes, you'll, you'll always want to check with your local, yeah. uh, you know, policies first, of course. But, um, I think more and more of these, cause they understand that that's even a, a, a valuable stream, uh, if they can pull it in and, and keep it out of landfill, that's, that's, uh, a, a, a beneficial to them on, for the, the bottom line. Yeah. Um, yeah. but also if you're, if you have a composting system either at work or at home if you want to shred the the greasy pizza box and put it in your compost bin that's fine too um it's made of paper it's got food waste on it you know it's a it's a great place to put it instead of the landfill trash right okay i'll work on that yes um <laughs> we were talking you you just mentioned the costs uh, and the bottom line um so this uh Aiming for zero waste is a way to improve the bottom line, um, presumably because uh, landfill has a cost. I know it does here. I'm sure it does there. 
So that's one of the things you promote then to reduce what you send to 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 landfill or to any other sort of uh, um, disposal point. Right. Yeah. At least here in Texas, it's um, about 10 to 20 percent cheaper to recycle than it is to landfill. And so we want to encourage waste reduction. Remember, that's one of the first R's. Of course, refusal of waste is is the beginning um, of that funnel. But the the ability to reduce waste and uh, keep things from the actual dumpster or the receptacle that's on your property is really the fastest and cheapest way to kick off or kickstart your sustainability journey as a company. Okay. And that is that when you can realize the most immediate cost savings, because once you're reducing your waste to landfill or to incinerator, uh, you can negotiate with your hauler, the the company that that trucks away the the materials once it's dumped out of your landfill receptacle into their truck. You can work with them to reduce either the capacity of the the dumpsters that you have on site, or the number the frequency of pickup per week, or both. Uh, you can combine those for even more cash savings. And the more cost that you save, the more that you can put that into new programs. Let's say you already have a recycling program as well, where you're 50-50, right? Um, but 50% of what's in your landfill trash is actually organic material. If you're switching the organic material into a composting system uh, for your employees, let's say at the cafeteria, um, you know, there's a there's a, a way to offset those costs by reducing the landfill trash even more and more and more and more and more. Uh, you have more cost savings as well. So you're in a fluid contractual negotiation um, capacity with your hauler so that you can right size those systems for your specific business needs. Many times the the haulers that truck these materials away, will see your property, they'll see how many employees you have, what kinds of materials that you generate, and they'll give you an arbitrary capacity for your dumpsters and an arbitrary cost um, that you will accept because right-sizing your containers and your systems is probably not your forte. Mm -hmm. uh, so getting a specialist like me on site to say, mm, you don't need that much capacity. You definitely don't need three pickups a week. You really only need two. So we can work with your, your hauler and we can renegotiate those terms in the contract to make sure it's fluid for your business needs. And if you need an additional pickup, then you know you can use the, the waste or the costs that you've saved throughout the year to pay for that pickup. Uh, maybe it's around the holidays and, and you have more uh, waste generation. So there's uh, there's ways to do it that are optimally fluid throughout the year um, so that you're not paying to just cart air off your property. Right, right. Well, <clears throat> you work with manufacturers then to minimize the waste that they send out, to minimize indeed the waste that they produce and ideally, the waste that they do produce is suitable for going somewhere else within the circular economy and right. becoming an input to another process. And then with the service organizations like hotels and so on, you help them with uh, procurement so that they can um, push the pressure back up the supply chain. Right. Now, do you also work with the employees within these organizations to inform them and also to try and change attitudes? 
Absolutely. It's the habit change over the last 30, 40 years that has really gotten us stuck. And um, people view trash as invaluable or as not having value. But in my case, I'm going to make the case for trash is invaluable because it is full of materials that could have been recycled, that could have been recovered in some way, even if it's food waste, if it's still consumable, it could have been donated legally through the Federal Good Samaritan Act that was passed back in 1996. Uh, how do we feed our, our uh, aging population? How do we feed food? Uh, how do we feed food insecure communities? Uh, a lot of times, that's going to come from business donations of foods, uh, prepared foods that, or frozen foods that they haven't used yeah. and that are still consumable. Um, and so, there's, you know, even even in the the you know, the R's, the re's that we're talking about, uh, redistribution in the food waste category um, is, is a, a big, a big uh, thing to, to optimize the, the use of a higher and better use of those food uh, materials to needy communities that could have used them rather than it going to landfill. So um, there's, you know, just a, a lot of of ways that we can really address these uh, these issues, but it's really about changing the hearts and minds of people around how they view mm-hmm. these waste waste materials. We call them material discards yeah. because they're discarded no longer in use doesn't mean mm-hmm. that they have no value. And so changing the view is of, you know, those, those staff members is really quite um, a thrill for me. Uh, doing the staff training, the employee training, that is very fun. It's engaging. I mean, we're talking trash here. You know, a lot of people don't see it as fun. It ain't sexy, um, except me, you know, kind of waste recycling nerds like me. <laughs> but if we can make it fun and engaging, we can do pop quizzes, we can gamify it, we can um, help them have healthy competitions, you know, floor by floor in an office building, or you know, those green teams that can rally uh, the their 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 peers uh, around taking accountability, taking uh, ownership of these programs, and making sure that they succeed. Uh, it really helps the business attain its zero waste and sustainability goals. So it really starts with the internal employee and how they see themselves fitting into the kind of microcosm of the small circular economy within the business. And, um, you know, really allowing them the ability to present innovative tactics that will energize their their peers as well. If there's an ability to present ideas or new innovations um, or new services, employees should feel empowered to do that, to go to their, their manager and say, hey, I think we can do this a better way. And managers should be open to receiving that feedback because this is about air, land, and water quality. This is about feeding needy needy communities. This is about, um, you know, increasing the the job pool in the local area because, right, we're using those materials uh, as feedstock for new products. Uh, So there's a whole manufacturing and and, uh, waste reduction and diversion um, circle within the, the internal operations of the, the business and employees are critical 
to making sure that the program actually succeeds. And the money that you spent into their training is something that can be carried on um, with new hires as well. One thing that uh, employers a lot of times don't really tackle is, you know, there's usually a lot of uh, safety precautions and safety, 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 safety. It's, it's, it's a top tier mm -hmm. issue. It's always at the front of the mind for employees. Um, but are we doing that with environment? Are we doing that with sustainability? Are we putting that same energy into empowering these employees about taking ownership of sustainability programs actually succeeding? A lot of times it's no. <laughs> okay. Are you finding that organizations in general are getting on board with this or are they talking the talk, but not walking the walk and relying on a bit of greenwash? It depends on who you're talking about. <laughs> well, we don't Many need to times there, there is a, um, here's the thing. The next boon in consumerism is going to be your younger Gen X, your millennials and your uh, older Gen Zers. They are, and, and maybe even your younger Gen Alpha. Um, they're, they are going to be, I, I believe there's around $50 billion just in the US of annual collective buying power from this particular set of population, this particular block of consumers. And their ideals are far different from previous generations when it comes to social justice, environmental protection, and transparency. And they are keen enough and savvy enough to research your consumer sustainability reports on your website. They are um, they have the ability to expose uh, bad practices on social media and make that go viral. If you don't want those types of PR nightmares, you're not going to greenwash. You're not even going to chance it. You're going to actually invest in your business for a long-term solution that will prioritize sustainability, green operations, green products that you bring to the, the store shelves for consumers to buy. And you're going to also invest in your green marketing and your storytelling so that you can envelop, you can bring in these new consumers, you can bring in new investors, uh, you can bring in new shareholders, and again, empower those employees that are, that are internally seeing one thing, but may be seeing on commercials a whole different other thing uh, from your company. And they're like, hey, these don't align that's that's kind of a, a morale deflator. So you need to be in alignment with this new block of consumers and their values are, are focused on uh, environmental justice, social justice, uh, worker rights, uh, those types of things that that are um, uh, you know very dear to their you know their value system near and dear to their heart. Well, that's a very interesting perspective. Stacy, are you optimistic for the future? I am. I am very optimistic for the future because these large companies are getting on board. They're signing onto global pacts. Um, they are coming to the table and they are finding new ways to be innovative and to even alter their, their products. So the materials that they're using, their um, 
becoming more collaborative, I believe, in, in uh, the way that things are, are manufactured or the way that they're making their, their products. And it's because of the way these newer generations have been speaking up and have been calling them on the carpet for bad habits, bad practices, bad uh, labor tactics, um, and you know, even, even poor uh, extraction uh, policies as well. You know, how do you extract the materials out of the earth, the raw resources? Uh, and, and they are taking a look at all of this and they're voting with their dollar. Right. Uh, Stacy Savage, the Texas trash talker. Thank you very much for talking to the Sustainable Futures Report. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. We've got a climate crisis, but let's not lose sight of the fact that we still need people like Stacy to keep our planet clean and habitable. Many thanks to her for her insights. You can find her on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. The links are all on the Sustainable Futures Report website, which, as I'm sure you know, is sustainablefutures.report. Next week, it's my review of the year, as I promised. I've spoken to a lot of people and covered a wide range of topics. I need to know what you would like to revisit to find out how things have changed, improved or possibly got worse. No, let's be optimistic. My review is not quite the very last episode for 2023, as we'll conclude the year with Peter Wang Hemdahl of Repurpose on Wednesday the 28th and 360 degree solutions to take action on your plastic footprint. And I'll be up and running in January with a string of episodes for the new year. For now, I'll let you get back to your Christmas shopping. It's only a couple of weeks, you know. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until next week. (music) 